In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul tells us this morning that we are to present ourselves by the mercies of God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I've thought for a long time that Paul was encouraging us to find opportunities, to find ways in which to serve God. But is Paul asking us, what can you do for Jesus? This seems to be the driving question this time of year, as it is stewardship season. It's always natural to think about and pray about what it is God would have us give, certainly in terms of money. But when you become a Christian, it's not just that part of you, your financial life or whatever segment of your life, that is what God is asking for. But in fact, Jesus lays claim on all of your life. One thing that it means to be a living sacrifice is that if you are a Christian, like it or not, you are a sacrifice. You have been chosen by God. If you look at the entirety of the Bible, very few sacrifices, in fact, only one exception, uh, ever went to the altar of sacrifice happily and willingly. At best, they were naive, like a lamb being led to the slaughter, silent before its shear. And yet, in the Bible, there is only one life that is sacrificed who goes willingly. And that, of course, is Jesus. And yet we, on the other hand, because of our hearts, resist it totally and completely, and yet that is God's call on our lives. And like it or not, our lives are laid bare, and we are His. There are very few areas in my life uh, where I mistakenly believe I have control. For most of our lives, life normally brings us to the point where we cry uncle and realize that God's office is at the end of our ropes. When my oldest daughter, Lily, was two years old, uh, she w had a terrible fever and they decided to put her in the hospital. And that's when I found out there's a whole field of medicine dedicated to what's called fevers of unknown origin which is just a medical professional way of saying, I have no idea what's wrong with your daughter. And I remember the doctor at Children's Hospital, she was uh, hospitalized for uh, about three weeks, and the doctor came in up at MUSC, and I asked, well, when is her fever, when is she going to get better, and what's wrong with her? And very honestly, the doctor said, I don't know, and I don't know. She's either going to get better, or she's not. Now, if you've ever been in a situation like that, as a Christian, you only have one place to go, to the great physician. And in some ways, it's not that hard. Right? Jesus, my daughter is in your hands. If she's to be healed, you have to be the one doing the healing. Lots of us have experienced that in life and, and have those moments, but there are areas of life that you, and no matter how bad it gets, no matter how awful it gets, there's still a semblance, a myth, 
of control. And one of those areas in my life is finances. With money, I always have a strategy. I always have an angle to get it together. No matter how bad things get, I am an eternal optimist when it comes to money. And if I'm honest, it's because I think that my brains and a little bit of luck, which I don't believe in, but I kind of do, you know, is going to be able to get my money back where it needs to be. And just how I treat possessions is incredible. I was thinking about when Lauren and I were in between moves once, we got a storage unit because we had too much stuff to fit in a house. So I realized we bought property in a gated community for our stuff. It's like visiting your grandmother in the villages. You go up to the gate and you wave to the guy and he knows you are. And you go in and you, you look at the stuff. Uh, you might try to find something in the stuff, but that never happens. Uh, and you add to it, but you never take stuff away. And in your heart, you know, I don't need this stuff. A lot of it I, I really don't want, and yet I can't get rid of it. There's something about it that has a hold on me when it comes to finances. We have some friends who are raising money for a ministry endeavor. And they even came to visit us. And they put the Lord's lean on it. And I really wasn't all that excited about what they were doing. And, and I sort of felt, well, I ought to give. And so uh, I prayed about it and hemmed and hauled about it. And I thought, I'll give them $100. And I felt so proud of myself when I sent that in. I thought, well, I'm giving something. Maybe this will get them off of my back. And I sent that. And less than a week later, we went out to Highlands Bar and Grill in Five Points. And without blinking... I signed the bill that was more than twice as much than what I gave to that ministry. Because I think that it's mine. Because I think that it's mine. And yet what Paul tells us is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Which means as a living sacrifice, as a Christian, when the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, one of the fruits that God is working in your life is that you're convicted. Actually, proof that you're a living sacrifice, whether you like it or not, is when your heart convicts you that you spend a whole lot more money on your stomach than people who need to hear the gospel. And so by the move and the power of the Spirit, our eyes begin to be opened that what it is that God would have us do with the gifts that He's given us. And it can often be overwhelming. As a living sacrifice, you're going to be under conviction a lot. But there is this wonderful verse from 1 John chapter 3 where John writes to us and says, When your heart condemns you, Know that God is bigger than your heart. When your heart condemns you, know that God is bigger than your heart. And we know that's true because of what Jesus has done for us. Because being a living sacrifice not only means that you are there unwillingly and that you fall under condemnation and conviction, being a living sacrifice in Jesus Christ also means that you're God's treasure. That your life has meaning and purpose and that you who are in Jesus Christ have value. That God did not account 
equality with that Jesus didn't account quality with equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself of all but love and came to earth and dwelt amongst us and died for you. In fact, he's imputed that to us. When Paul says, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, well, we know that we're not holy and acceptable to God because of what we've done, or by the hundred dollars I've given to this ministry, or because I've royally blown it by spending money on myself and just accumulating possessions, but I'm holy and acceptable to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me through his death and resurrection, that I am God's treasure, that Hell itself was no bounds that God would go toe-to-toe with death for you and for me because of his great love for us. This past year, in our own communities, we have seen a number of young men and women take their own lives. Most people look at our community from the outside and think, Those are the people who have arrived. I wish that I had their life. And yet still, even in our midst, there are those who get so lost and end up in such a dark place that they think that death is a better option than life. I had a friend who once asked me, Andrew, do you think that people who take their own lives will go to hell? Now, there was a lot going on behind that question, and I assured him that there is nothing that you can ever do that is beyond God's arm of salvation. You cannot outrun His grace, no matter what. But behind his question, you could hear the dread and the fear because he had been brought up thinking that, yes, most certainly you won't go to heaven because it's such a selfish act. And yet I told him, and I believe it to be true amongst all of us, that there's not one of us here this morning who is a Christian, who has not even for a fleeting moment thought, maybe life would be better off without me. Or maybe that death really is an option for me. And yet, in Jesus and in his mercy... What the world needs to hear, what people in dark places need to hear, is that you are God's treasure. That you have meaning and purpose. You have value. God has gifted you in such a way that he is going to use you for his glory and for your good. St. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What is St. Paul saying? We are all jars of clay. We are cracked pots. 
And yet God chooses you and me to instill in us the treasure of the gospel, a living relationship with Jesus Christ where God the Holy Spirit actually comes and lives in us. So great is God's love for you, his treasure. And as a living sacrifice, we do fall under condemnation. We do fall under conviction as we're able now to attest and see what God's will is. We see the reality of things, who we are as broken individuals, as cracked pots. But above all, we also begin to get a right idea of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. We, as Christians, like it or not, are living sacrifices that have been given fully over to Jesus Christ. But only because he was the sacrifice who has gone willingly on for us on the cross. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, by the great mercy of God and Jesus Christ, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God because of his cross, which is our spiritual worship. Amen. Amen.